Hello and welcome to the Keen on Things podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Keen, with the best 30 minutes of sleep you'll ever get in show business. Uh, we do something a little different here. We do nothing, or at least the appearance of nothing. You talk about flatline. I mean, that's what this show is all about. It is the opposite of morning radio energy for sure. I try to be as real as possible. Uh, not raw, you know what I mean? Just simple. Simple real. Is that a thing? Uh, it's funny. It's the two most marketable tools, right? Being fake, very marketable. You just continue fakeness and gloss over things, and you go very far. You can work in news. You can work in entertainment uh, news, stuff like that, which in this country are the same. Uh, being fake and then uh, and putting out bubblegum and acting like things are a big deal. Or you can be loud and hardcore honest, you know loud and hardcore honest and you can be a, a dj of that sort or host a podcast or whatever i'm neither i'm neither of those things it's the most i'm the most unmarketable act i think ever in show business um very unmarketable comedy it's good enough i think the joke writing's there <laughs> thank you um but uh what's presentable and what isn't epitome i think i epitomize tortoise in the hair and the tortoise racing i think that's me so i mean if i could live to be like 350 years old i might be able to get enough followers on social media or whatever to drive this through um so yeah i somehow found the one overlap that is perfectly situated between uninteresting and non-revenue making and it's not easy to do you know to know as many people in the business thank you can i get a break for two seconds uh to know as many people in the business as I do and have uh, as many contacts as I do and still have a mediocre career and come out midway through the pack, it's quite impressive. It really is. It's almost like I planned it. Like you have to plan to not go this far, but far enough. Um, so, yeah, honesty is hard, right? It's so hard. You know, I joke that Americans are fat, but also we reject more fast food than any nation in history you know I, I sometimes joke that uh no n nobody drives past more fast food places without stopping than americans right we turn down a lot than any group in history we deserve some credit for the places we don't stop at we don't get credit for that we pass by a lot no, no other country passes by as much fast food as we do. So, you know, because I, I, you know, I went to college in Montana. We had a lot of exchange students. By the way, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know where this, any of this originated. So we had a lot of exchange students, weirdly, in Montana. I think we were just taking anybody who's paying. We had a lot of Ruski Bobs and a lot of Asians. And, uh, and they would come. Asians did a good job of keeping the weight off. But a lot of Ruski Bobs, man, those Russians came and went. They came and, uh, you know, I think we had two Burger Kings in Helena, Montana. I think we only had one McDonald's, but two Burger Kings. Uh, I don't think we had a Wendy's. One McDonald's. Oh, we definitely had a <laughs> Hardee's where I worked for a stint, which was owned, which eventually was bought by Carl's Jr. Um, and then I think we had a Taco Bell. Yeah, I know we had a Taco Bell, but I don't know if we had, we might have had two. I doubt we had two. I think we just had the one. Anyway, a lot of Russian students would come and gained a ton of weight. It was their first exposure. Granted, this is the early 90s. They were just out fresh off the Soviet Union. So, uh, you know, little give them a little leeway there. 
any other country with the temptation and and i'm going to get to truth and how honesty and how eventually we all just succumb to whatever the lies or the convenience or or just whatever it takes to get through the day any other country with the temptation and access to crap food would score just as low on the health scale as we would once those fast food places are built it's over right they need to be stopped well before that uh cut off at the past type thing but it's hard you have you know you have a stand against something and it's hard it's so easy to give in you eventually just get worn out you get outlasted you're fighting and you're fighting whether it's the diet whether it's your beliefs and then a higher up sits you down and says look don't you want to make things easier on yourself sure we're doing this awful thing but look what it pays for look at the quality of life you'd be messing with if you changed it just go along right? We were planning on promoting you and you just go along with it. You know, Hey, look, we need to keep these endless wars going. Otherwise we have to tap into our own oil supply. We don't know what those other countries are going to do with the oil. If it's given back to them, you know, they could use it to fuel weapons against us, even though we have top technology and could catch them well in the act way before that. We really need a foothold in that region. You know, look at how far we've come. You know, we, we, who's calling me? Are you serious? Uh, look how far we've come. You know, we, we, we wouldn't want to disappoint the men and women who gave their lives already. We'd be dishonoring their families if we didn't continue killing other people. Mostly civilians, right? And we sink into that comfortable subterfuge. I have no idea what that word means. Maybe quagmire is the better word. I have an idea of what that word means. I'm not looking up subterfuge. If subterfuge and quagmire mean the same thing, then what the hell are we doing? Do we need two words like that? I doubt it. Okay, so we'll say quagmire. They 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 mean the same thing, and, and they're both kind of off a little bit. They're fun words to say, guys, or maybe to see in print. I've got a joke now how I'm a better writer than performer, so just picture my jokes in print, and you'll have a much better time. I really like that joke. Um, when I wrote for Anthony Jeselnik's show, Good Talk, Anthony is a different style, right? Like Natasha Leggero, just no self-deprecation, none. And I like it. Both funny people, unapologetic, right? I probably lean on self-dep too much, maybe a crutch. False modesty is gross. Not that I'm false. I'm genuine, genuinely you know, uh, self-deprecating, but people have this false modesty where they're, they're very convenient about what they make fun of themselves for. Like, look at my abs. I've only been working on them for six months and they're just not that great as they should be. Anyway, uh, Anthony and Natasha stay away from that. They go in the other direction, right? Anyway, Anthony had to pull me in to his office second day into, into the show, like second day into writing and was like, Hey man, I like your stuff. That's why you're here always have but this is not a show that's apologizing for being on air because i had been i had written some self-deprecating stuff for our ads and our lead-ins to our ads and he's like we are a kick you in the teeth chest beating show so right to that end and we did and it was awesome it was going well then covid hit you might have heard about it um anyway i don't know what in the hell i'm talking about oh, oh that comfortable numbness accepting the powers that be because they've made it convenient for us. That Ned Beatty moment, a rest in peace, uh, from the movie The Network, or it's just called Network. Um, 
or James Mason in The Verdict, you got to see that movie. It's a must-see. He's defending a hospital that, that caused a woman to go into a coma. It's in Boston. They caused a woman to go into a coma when she gave birth because they didn't check her entry paperwork, the admitting nurse, uh, where she wrote down that she'd eaten one hour before, uh, before being admitted. She threw up and went into a coma, and the doctors had the admitting nurse change the one to a nine so they'd be in the clear because the doctors didn't check the paperwork that the admitting nurse had written one. They threatened the nurse. They ran her out of the profession, right? And James Mason is the defending attorney for the hospital talking to one of the underlings at his law firm and justifies defending this hospital by saying the hospital does good things overall. Once in a while, there's a slip up. But overall, they're there, greater good type stuff. They have to be protected. It's an amazing movie, right? Paul Newman is a lawyer of the woman's family who's in the coma. He's a alcoholic, a, disbar- a disgraced lawyer, and it's just an unbelievable film. And I think it was a play. And you put James Mason, Paul Newman, Jack Warden, forget about it, game over, uh, one of the best films of all time. They could all get Academy Awards for that, as could the director, Sidney Lumet, uh, one of the greatest directors of all time in the greatest age of film ever in the 70s and the early 80s. Uh, I remember my dad watching this movie when I was like nine years old and me thinking how boring it looked, and now I can't get enough of it. I'll look up clips on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, point is, James Mason's character has that talk with a young female attorney who uh, wants to you know, become a great lawyer, and he kind of gives her that spiel. That, uh, oh, just check your conscience at the door, you know? Uh, but it was a great movie. It was a play at first. Few Good Men was a play at first, I think. Same vibe. The defense has a point, you know, that whole greater good concept. Then someone takes it upon themselves to make it their mission and fight through that system and get a little savvy, a little luck, and crazy beautiful things can happen, okay? Because they went with their conscience. Um but it's tough, right? It's so easy to give in. Fast food, you know, foreign policy, just vote this way. Just, it's okay. I don't want anything affecting my standard of living, regardless of what's happening far, far away. I'm going to watch this news that filters it and makes me feel good at the end of the episode. It scares me at the beginning of the episode, every newscast, right? Go big, and then somehow in the half hour, see how we've shaped it? And then they end with, like, cute little beautiful music. And it's like, why wasn't that cute, beautiful music at the beginning? You resolved this just by sitting at that desk in 30 minutes? Um, and what if you're, if you're on delay and someone starts the news broadcast, the, the broadcast as the other one's finishing? It's like, oh, God, look at how scary the world was 30 minutes ago. Oh, no, no problem. Okay. Um, so in my own life, my family, we don't know, and we still may never know if it was a hospital like in uh, The Verdict. My older brother's special needs, very low functioning. Um, he's going to be he's gonna be 15 in a week, 50, the big 5-0. We still don't know and may never know if the hospital caused my older brother to have brain damage. Isn't that crazy? St. Vincent, Toledo, Ohio. My dad's mom was a nurse, my grandma. My mom's mom had had six kids. Um, So this was going to be her first grandkid. And it was actually going to be the first, I believe, grandkid of my dad's mom as well. 
And you think my mom would have had her back covered, right? Maybe. Not sure. It's the early 70s. And uh, I don't know at this point, I don't know if we'll ever know. I don't know if people want to know. You know, I don't know if people want to talk about it. It definitely was never talked about as kids. Only that, this is what was said, we were a special family, and that's why God sent Danny, my older brother, to us, right? Because we, we were special. Hell, and maybe that's as good as we're going to get. Because it did make us all, as a family, more human, really more empathetic to the human condition. Growing up in OC, that is, I'll tell you, that's not on the front burner where life is pretty clinical still. I'm back here. It's more so than when I lived here as a lad. Uh, it can be pretty sterile, right? I mean, you think of homeless people screwed in L.A. In Orange County, it's it's like, what is that, an alien? You meet people that came from here, from somewhere else, or whose parents are from somewhere else, and that's where you get the good stuff. People that traveled and lived elsewhere before coming to Orange County. Because uh, some of these families that are second, third generation in now, they're so far removed from human connection. It's scary. And that's not Orange County necessarily, as much as it's money and guard gate life, right? And it's funny that we fear robots and aliens because some of the people we're making in America are worse. Okay, not just Orange County, not just America. Uh, so yeah, summer, Toledo, Ohio, 1971. My parents are about to have a baby child. They're first. And when Danny comes out, He's not crying, right? My mom asked why he's not crying or making noise like babies are supposed to be doing. And the doctor says they need to get him on an oxygen machine. Now, you'd think that needs to happen right away, I would think. And they go to do that, but the machine wasn't plugged in. And they had to plug it in and wait for it to get warmed up. And I don't know how long it took to get warmed up. I would think any second counts. So if it takes a minute and a half to get warmed up, you're talking about a newborn with 90 seconds of not oxygen. I don't know. I don't know. And it's very frustrating. Um, so you, those, vo those moments I would think are very valuable, but my God, you talk about the neglect there, the machine's not plugged in or it's not turned on. Uh, in 1971, I would think any machine takes a while to get going. And I'm, I'm using very basic terms to describe this process, but, we just never knew. And I don't know if we'll ever know. Now, the good news, something that came to light not too long ago, is that my brother has large hands and fingertips. And people have said that that's, that's something in the womb. Something's wrong in the womb. So before he even came out, there's some... Um, I don't know if it's necessarily um, Down syndrome or... or, or, or uh, cerebral palsy i don't know but it, it weirdly strangely makes me feel better because that means something was wrong pre-birth because i'll tell you if his condition that he's in now and has been for 50 years is caused by any neglect or lapse that occurred at birth then that's very difficult that's very hard to live with you know and who knows how much my parents thought about that or let themselves think about it fight it try to compensate their lives in other ways. Who knows? There's nothing you can do about it. What are you going to sue? And then, and there wasn't litigation as, as extreme as there is today. Then is, is a lawsuit going to bring that back? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. And maybe a doctor that's listening to this, you know, cause I have a ton of doctors that listen to this podcast. Um, 
would say, yeah, the oxygen thing isn't that big of an issue. It's probably fine. It's something pre-birth. So I could just be paranoid. Okay. And, and maybe I'm looking for things to blame my own life on or attribute things to. I, I'd like to think that I'm just looking for the truth and doing something about it. I, I kind of hope that it was something in the womb before. You know, I don't know why it wasn't detected. Um, maybe the technology wasn't available. So I just get sad when I think about a young couple having their first child and all their friends having their first child around that same time, early 70s. And you have a special needs child. And, and with each passing, you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with each passing uh, milestone, you know, the kid, uh, other kids or whatever, walking or, or talking or doing these things. And a, a certain couple's kid isn't, isn't. Fortunately, in a way, my parents, I don't think, processed it fully and fired off three other kids right after that. And so we all dealt with it together over time. And the situation from that point forward could not be better, right? It was a great upbringing. We had a great family. And, um, you know, and now he's in a medical group home in Arizona, Avondale, Phoenix, just outside of phoenix avondale off avondale i don't know if that's avondale or just the road uh but that's what life's about right you learn and you move on and you and you you live as best you can from this moment forward he's in a great home turns 15 a week i don't think he was supposed to live that long and it's all good right maybe it added stress to my dad's life <clears throat> and that stress may have led to dying at 59 uh, but look, he did not get cheated in his time on the planet. He had a great time. Um, so point is, right? Where are we? We're 17 in. Okay. Point is, I get annoyed at the system, right? As we all should and just kind of be, be leery of it. I do get bothered by just pushing people through like their numbers. And that's probably what it was. I, one doctor told my mom, um, oh, okay, just dump them off somewhere, leave them, and then go try again with other kids. You know, Whether it's LA Unified, whether it's an airport line, you, know, you, you just get like moved and pushed through numbers. And it's numbers doing it to other numbers. Anything where people are kept waiting, like shows, it just drives me crazy in this day and age. Why, why are there lines at all? I mean, if people are in line for shoes or, or whatever, concert tickets, I don't know what people stand in line for anymore. Um, a restaurant, maybe. Let people in. Like at comedy shows, there are people standing outside shows while inside they're setting up. Set up an hour early, guys. Set up a half hour early. Have that ready to go. Have people come in and sit and eat. So that when a comedian takes the stage, they're not competing with a knife and fork slamming against a plate. Gravy getting slurped up. Toledo funny bone. Whatever that, it's not in Toledo, it's uh, Perrysburg, or Perrysville or Perrysburg. And what's with the lines, you know? Seat them, feed them, stop assembly lining people. I get annoyed. So I get annoyed... Um, That people around my mom and dad 
didn't step up and ask questions and fight a little when Danny's birth happened. Like, where was everybody? Why wasn't her whole pregnancy being tracked? And why, when this happened, weren't there explanations? What is all, like, it's just, and maybe people don't want to know the truth because it would have been too heartbreaking to know that the damage was caused right there at birth by human error in critical moments. But I'll tell you, it set my family's existence on a lifetime tailspin, right? And, you know, maybe we're better people for it. That doesn't help Danny none, but maybe we're better people for it. That it makes us, you know, you become, I think, more of a human being, more empathetic, more sympathetic. It's almost like growing up learning a language or an instrument. You just have to be more of a human being. Um, so that part's good. And and it's not like Danny knows, you know, he's not like, oh, man, had you guys had that oxygen machine on or whatever, I would have been living a better life, you know. I would have been doing better than this. You know, he's only been in a wheelchair the last couple of years. And he, and he can stand. He can walk. His leg's fine. He just doesn't know that because it, it got fixed. We had two surgeries. So he's able to walk if he if he is aware. But he's not aware. All he knows is that leg is weak and I'm staying off it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I don't love the establishment. I don't think I ever have. I don't. Uh, adults don't necessarily do it for me uh, when I was a kid, you know. Um, I don't trust that a pilot isn't hungover or an executive or VP, uh, you know, whomever, a politician, isn't just half-assing something. You have to ask questions, right? You have to get involved. I see some eulogies, and sometimes a preacher or whomever has it on autopilot, and there's nothing personal being said about the deceased. And it's like, whoa. What is this? Just assembly line, business as usual, statistics. I try to live my life different. Personal touch, right? Goes a long way in all facets of life. Uh, I talked about Ms. Bodell last week, my buddy's mom. Making Catholicism her own. She's not just going to be like, woe is me. Um, you know, you got to do that. you got to make your life your own. And uh, most don't. And mercifully, at the end of the day, realize that we're all human and that if a delivery doctor or a nurse messed up, it was not intentional, of course. Just maybe slipshod and then trying to get out of it and just being like, oh, yeah, that was just a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's move this along. Who knows? Who knows? 1971. But uh, frustrating. Stays with me. Don't know if I'll ever get answers. And... Uh, I don't know what led us into this. So maybe that's why I felt the need to do comedy because I was always trying to make my mom laugh or feel or whatever. I could be overthinking all this. We've had a great life with so much love around, but you just wonder, you know, you wonder and you be, what's it be? Start your day in gratitude. Be thankful for what you have. And uh, anyway, just realize that hey, we're humans on a rock hurtling through space, trying to do the best we can. Uh, the most beautiful thing I ever heard in film was Jeff Bridges as the alien in Starman. When he says, the funny thing about people, you're always at your best when things are at their worst. But the way he says it is very good. It's very uh, theatrical. It's fantastic. Um, I'm happy. I have the brother I do in Danny and Dennis, of course, little brother. Perfect siblings. 
Um, it's interesting as we get older to see my dad's traits in Danny. Like when he is sick or struggling and doesn't know what's happening to him, it is heartbreaking. And he looks at you and you don't know what he's thinking. Um, if he's thinking. And those eyes and the inability to communicate through the pain that you know he's experiencing and probably confused about, it will rock you to a core you didn't know went that deep inside your own body. And you can feel it at the center of your being. You're like, wow, that's the equidistant point of my body. I didn't know I could feel something there. And I can feel exactly where the center of my body is in this moment of absolute pain. I don't know what it is. It's so piercing. It's like at the bottom of your gut, heart, sternum. It's, it's, it's piercing. He has feelings. He recognizes us, so that's great. He laughs at us, with us, all that. And you see him survive, man. You see human survival. You see life not want to stop. He knows that much that he wants to stay alive. And it's just, it, it, it's like the Richard Pryor joke when he gets back from Africa and he sees, when he was there, he saw a lion tear a giraffe's ass off or something. And it was just like, he's like, oh my God, that hunk of flesh is hanging off that giraffe. And the giraffe just runs off because he, he could, Richard Pryor's like, the giraffe, the giraffe's point of view is like, screw it, I'm alive. And I think that's how my brother Danny is. It sums it all up. It's crazy. Um, so yeah. So maybe it's because of all that and trying to cheer my mom up and keep the moment light and ease the pain or suffering is why I do comedy. Or maybe that's a maybe. Or maybe it's just a shy person trying to get revenge on the world for being shy. Um, which I always thought was a great description of people who get on stage. Uh, comics, actors, whomever, right? Musicians. Not inaccurate either. It's accurate. Um, and it doesn't have to be something tragic as to why someone gets into comedy. It doesn't have to come from a dark place. It can be a good-looking, well-to-do person that has a healthy outlook, and they can be just as funny. You know, I dated a beautiful girl for three years, very beautiful all the way from childhood up until now. Hilarious. Okay, uh, I had two funny grandfathers that were here before my brother Danny, so maybe I was going to get into comedy anyway because I spent a lot of time with those cats as a kid. Um, so you just... You just don't know. You get a little anger uh, from the past, from someone not asking, not fighting. Uh, you feel alone for a long time, maybe as a family. And then on top of all that, you move across the country where you've got no support system. And uh, so it was a lot. It was a lot. So he's come a long way. It's fantastic. And if you want to come a long way, you got to get your commercial equipment financing needs at iFinancial through Todd Bodell, guys. 949-510-1590. Uh, 949-510-1590. That's going by heart. I don't even have that written down. What a nice moment for an ad. Okay. Um, so we're wrapping up here. I've never passed a donut shop without noticing. Right? We talk about the fast food. I've always noticed. I don't stop at every donut shop, but I always notice. All right. I saw one uh, last week in Lake Forest. I went to get a green juice right next door. They have a donut shop. I was getting a green juice. It's right by my, where my dad's buried. So I was going to check it out. 
and I peeked in the window. I, I, I know, I mean, I bought the green juice. I'm drinking it, but I'm peeking in the donut shop. Um, I don't know how I resisted. I knew I wasn't going to buy anything, but I peeked in anyway, as if I don't know what donuts look, don't look like. Look like, like, what do I need to see? I've seen every type of donut at this point, but I need to peek in. I think a donut. I think first of all, you gain weight just by looking at donuts. I think a donut goes to your stomach and makes you fat quicker than any other food. It's immediate. You can gain weight by looking at donuts. It's unreal. All right, uh, we're only as strong as the temptations around us. That's it. Um, if I were a rich, famous, good-looking guy with a, uh, married with a lot of good-looking women that wanted to pursue, man, I hope that relationship's intact because I don't know. I don't know that I would have the strength to resist temptation. So my point to this whole episode, I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to be real. It's very hard. There are so many cover-ups. People just want to go along with things because it's easier to do. And I'm just trying to be real with this podcast. So that concludes the intro. Now let's get into it. Just kidding. We're done almost. Um, I'm trying to be as real as possible. But uh, it's very hard. America is a billboard, right? We are a commercial. And we, we, it was raised in a hurry, right? We, the first thing on a lot of areas of land, especially in the West, it's like, boom, there's a Taco Bell. What was it before? It was just a field at least like a Taco Bell or a McDonald's in Europe or Tokyo or on the eastern coast of America was 10 things before it was a McDonald's. You know, oh, that used to be a factory or that used to be a home or that used to be, you know, um, you know, a restaurant or a, uh, a hall where people gathered. But, man, in the West, it's like, oh, no, that it's going from nothingness to, boom, McDonald's, Taco Bell, Subway. Um, it's very hard to not play to some angle where money exists. It's very hard. You can start off legit or pure, but uh, it's so easy to get pulled away from that. I try to be honest here. Uh, I'm not necessarily tackling huge issues. I might eventually. I might touch on some. I don't know. But uh, when I run out of other things, which happened episode one a year and two months ago. But uh, I don't know. Touching it all. Uh, thanks for listening. Subscribe. So you know right away when these episodes come out every week, usually uh, Sunday night, Monday morning. Tell people about it. It's definitely different. Keen of Comedy is uh, is there in all social media formats, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find it all. All right, guys. Uh, thanks so much. Have a great week. Be well.